0: been walking through chapter 4 and as we've been doing that we spoke about the four parables that Jesus taught to those that were along the shore of the sea of Galilee and specifically last week we talked about the three parables where Jesus talks about how the kingdom of God is going to expand now there's a point in that passage where Jesus like literally gets into a boat and he pushes out a little bit and he's teaching from that boat and we know he's been teaching all day long. And now at this point, he's done teaching and he's going to take his disciples and some others that are following along on a bit of a sea expedition across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes. And there's something that he wants to do in the middle of the Sea of Galilee that we're going to read about today. And I'm going to start with verse 35. And here's what the Bible says. It says, on that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. Now, just for a second right there, park there for a moment. It says, and the other boats were with him. Whenever you hear about this story, we tend to think about one boat, I mean, there are paintings. They only have one boat. They never have like seven boats. But look at the little detail that's in the story there. It says, and other boats were with him. So when you picture this story, you have to think there are several boats on the Sea of Galilee that are going with Jesus. And I I just think that's a fun fact moving right along. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's a sophisticated way of saying that we're going to all die. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. This is a very familiar passage of scripture. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you probably have heard it or you have heard it in a song. You may have seen it in a painting. There are many allegories that are written to this effect of all kinds. It's a And it's important to recognize that in well-known stories in the Bible, passages of Scripture that are not only told in Christian circles, but really any circles, you sort of see these pictures, you hear these songs, you hear a lot of sermons, it tends to misconstrue truth. The more popular a passage becomes, I think the less the details become important in that passage, like the truth of the passage can tend to get lost when the story gets more popular especially it goes as it goes out into culture. And I think that happens for this story because I've heard plenty of sermons and, and I've even read books to the effect where people will talk about how Jesus, when he's in our boat or he's in our life, he will, he will calm the storms of our life. Like he will make them so they're like, it's really calm. Like he's the one that, that will make everything in your life just go the way that it's supposed to. It'll be all perfect and calm and wonderful and no muss and no fuss. And, and Jesus is... the the storm calmer, and you just trust in him, and nothing's going to go wrong, and everything's going to go right. You guys understand where I'm going with this? And and then you just live a little bit of life, and you think, man, that preacher's a liar. (laughs) Well, Pastor Ben is not that preacher. And that's not the point of the story. The point of this story is first this. In verse 41, I'm going to tell you right up front, it's the full identity of Jesus. Who then is this? Apparently, they didn't fully know. Apparently, they didn't have the right perspective of Jesus or potentially even who the Messiah was. And so it's a revelation of Jesus Christ in the fullness or a fuller revelation of who he is to his disciples. That's the main point of this passage. But I also think that surrounding this passage or the implications of it could be that Jesus takes his disciples out on the sea to teach them some lessons. And those lessons are very important and I think they do apply to all of our lives and we certainly want to capture those and we want to hear them and we want to heed them for our own lives today. This is a very real physical storm and so we don't want to fully allegorize this storm because it it literally is. It's just a massive storm, sea and waves and wind and I'm sure lightning and it's, it's massive and it's described as such. And so, while I don't want to fully allegorize it, I do want to say that it does represent, and it should, an opportunity for people to grow in faith. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is leading them into because when you go through any type of difficulty, whether it's a real, actual, physical storm or it's a storm of life, it provides all of us as believers an opportunity to respond to God. And how many of you know when you go through a difficulty that you didn't see and you didn't plan and you don't want, that whatever is in you comes out of you? And you might think you're a really nice person and then you go through a difficulty and you realize you got some stuff in you you don't want nobody to know about. You got some stuff in you that you've sophisticated how you hide it, and now you can't hide it no more. And I want to tell you, that's not a bad thing as long as we learn how to respond to God, even in the midst of those things that are coming out of us. He wants to change us. He wants to help us to grow. And and that's the point of the message today. We've got to stop just asking God to get us out of it or to get us through it. We want to start to ask God to grow us through it. And I'll tell you what, when you start to pray to God, help me to grow, help me to develop, help me to become something rather than just to get out of somewhere. Help me, help me not just to have a convenient, comfortable life, but help me to have the kind of robust faith that can ride every wave from this point forward. This is what I think we can learn as we look at this passage today. And I think it's interesting because Jesus spent an entire day teaching his disciples. And all these other crowd- you know, the the members of the crowd that were all there, he's teaching them all day. And what's interesting to me is he goes from these illustrative stories to now they're on the sea and it's like a demonstration of truth. He's like, I told you, I talked to you about it, I gave you a heads up, but now I'm gonna show you and in the midst of something serious, in the midst of something that you don't know what to do, watch, I'm gonna teach you how to really respond and put into practice some of what I've been teaching you. And I think it's, I just think it's fantastic actually. And there's four points I wanna bring up today from this passage. And the first one is this. We will encounter many storms in life. Now go ahead and say amen. Amen. Because that might be the only amen on this point that I'm going to (laughs) get. Verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Now, look at this. We see right there in verse 35, Jesus initiated the boating trip across the Sea of Galilee. Now, I'm gonna try to prove to you today that I believed he knew the storm was coming. I believe that. Now, you don't have to believe that, but I'm gonna work hard to convince you. He initiated this trip. They could have walked around, he didn't do it. So it's about seven miles from the widest point of the Sea of Galilee. So whether they were seven miles across or five, we do not know. But what we do know is probably about 6 p.m., and there was no sign of any storm whatsoever. There were some experienced fishermen that were a part of Jesus's camp and those that were in the boat, and they would have known if there was a big storm that was coming. Now, the Sea of Galilee did have storms and still does to this day, but they know how to navigate those types of storms, those that are in the boat, And there was no indication that there would be one. But here's what verse 37 says. Look at this. It says, there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat. The word arose is used in the New Testament. The original word can often mean suddenly. So when we're talking about there arose, it wasn't like they saw it coming, like they saw the clouds coming from afar. It means just suddenly this storm arose. It like came upon them. And the word fierce means great, huge, loud, and my personal favorite, mega. The word gale can often literally be translated hurricane. And so I want to retranslate this verse in the BIV, the Benz International Version, and it could be stated this way. Suddenly, a mega storm came upon them, and they did not see it coming. Now, that's just my version, but I think it's very true to the text. Suddenly a mega storm came upon them and they did not see it before it came. And we know that they had experience with storms, but this one is unique. And I bet you the disciples woke up that day and not one of them thought they were going to be in the midst of something like this. When they got into the boat, they did not perceive that they would be where they were. And that helps us to understand a couple of things, particularly the response that they gave. The fact is, though, that we're all going to experience unplanned situations in life, things that we cannot plan for, we did not schedule, we were not ready for, we did not foresee, these things are going to suddenly happen to us, whether it's a real physical storm or we're using that as a metaphor for the tribulations and the trials and the difficulties of life. And did you know that it's fair to actually use it as a metaphor? This is not just me allegorizing the scripture. We can go too far with that and lose the main point, but the scriptures actually use the word storms and winds and waves as a metaphor for the trials of life. And I'll just give you a few references. 2 Samuel 22, Job 9, Psalm 93, Jeremiah 5, and Ephesians 4, just to name a few. I mean, that's like a, that's just a shotgun there can't go over them all day, but I'm telling you, it's all over the Bible. Storms are a part of life. We all have difficulties. We all are going to go through some stuff. Now, I told you I wasn't going to get another amen on this point, but I just want you to know and you need to be convinced not only that storms are coming, but that Jesus is with you in the midst of the storm, and he has something that he is about when we face trials of many kinds. And often we are not always on the right side of what God is doing. And I think that's the most important part when we face trials and difficulties. But storms have sources. They don't just come from the same source. And you and I need to know what is the source of the storm that I'm in right now. Because if we think that the storm that we're facing is coming from something that it's not, we probably aren't going to be doing the right thing at the right time. Some storms come from the evil, ignorant, and selfish choices of others. Let me put it to you like this. Some storms or difficulties in our life are the direct result of the sins of other people. When I teach to not have an unoffendable, or to have an unoffendable heart, I am not saying that you will never have real offense. You will, you and I will have real offense. People will sin against us. We cannot control what people do to us, but we can control how we respond to it. That's what we are held responsible for. But some storms come from the sins of others. Some storms come from our own sinful, unwise, and ungodly choices. And if we're trying to blame other people and I just forgive so-and-so instead of own it and repent from it, see, we're not doing the thing that is going to actually help us in what we're facing. If it's because of us, but we're avoiding repentance, friend, we're not going to get through that storm and be developed in the midst of it. It won't happen. Some storms come from the actual enemy. We're talking not about Satan personified, but demonic spirits. And we see this all over the Bible, and we know spiritual attacks are very real. And when we know that it's an attack of the enemy, the Bible teaches us to rebuke, take authority, stand strong, and resist the enemy. He will flee, draw near to God, James chapter 4. See, there's a remedy for whatever storm that we're facing. So if you don't know what you're facing or what the source of it is, you're probably going to be doing the wrong thing. Like, you know, sometimes when people are like, hey, there's that devil out there shutting my power off and you haven't paid your bill for like six months. (laughs) It's like, no, sir, pay your bill and the light man isn't going to, his name's Dave, his name's on his shirt and he's out there doing his job. So we've got to stop blaming the devil for stuff we put ourselves in. That's not the devil. You know, sometimes spiritual warfare is just a lot more simple than we make it. It's not that mystical. I mean, we put ourselves into bad situations, and if we repent by God's grace, he'll usher us into new life. That's what he does. We can't be blaming the devil or other people. we got to know the source of the storm that we're in. And I think there's some proof today that potentially the great megastorm that the disciples and Jesus are facing could be from the devil. This could be from the enemy and the reason that we think that is because on the other side of the sea of Galilee in the land of the Gerasenes, the first situation that they encounter which we'll talk about next week is a man that is full of demons and he literally describes the demons that are in him as legions. We're talking thousands. Now, I'm sure they might have seen some form of exorcism before, but they have never seen legions exercised out of anybody. Nobody went up to where this man was. Nobody dealt with this man. Nobody wanted to. And so Jesus is about to go to this place with his disciples, and not only are they going to meet Legion, who lives in this man, but they're going to meet the woman with the issue of blood, and then Jesus is also going to raise a child from the dead. Now, demons and the devil are not omniscient. They do not know the future in advance, but they can see the landscape of what's going on on the other side of the sea. And so when you look at the text, when it says, suddenly there arose, as if you couldn't see it coming, there is evidence in this text to suggest that this could have been an attack of the enemy. And so when Jesus stands up and says, hush, be still, in the same way that he speaks to those that are demonized, that's the same terminology that is used, it is very feasible then that this is the enemy that they are facing. But some storms come from the enemy in our life, and some storms are simply just a part of the life that we live. We live on broken, a broken planet. We all have sin. We all have difficulty. We all have pain. We all have loss. We all go through some things. Sometimes something doesn't come in the mail. Amazon wasn't on time. You get a leak in your roof because a couple of leaves were at the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not the devil. That's not you. That's I mean, that just happens. Some things just happen if we live on planet Earth. And I I was thinking a little bit about this passage and about this particular point, and it sort of put me in this place where I just recognize what we all know. And that is that you can't control everything in life. I mean, you can set out today to do your best and you can plan and we can schedule and, and we ought to do that. I'm big on planning and scheduling. I have a life where I'm very hemmed in and I'm certain that many of you are in my shoes when people say, Pastor Ben, I think you're busy, they're not wrong. I mean, I am hemmed in. They're like, they're literally things I cannot do because my life is so planned out for me. And personally, I love it. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, it doesn't bother me at all. But the reality is every now and again, when I want to do something that I simply do not have the time to do, and I cannot find a place for it, you know, that's where I grieve a little bit. And you feel bad, you pray for your pastor, you know, you, <laughs> coffee helps, you know, so, but, But the fact is you can't control life, you know? And the older I get and the older you get, the more you realize it. You you just can't control things. And so what Jesus is after though is not that we would try to live a controlled life. It's that we would learn how to respond to whatever life brings. That we would learn how to do that and we would respond in a way that glorifies Christ, that looks more and more like him and less and less like whatever we used to be. And so we're thankful that this passage actually gives us a little bit of help in that regard. And the second point is this, we will face our fears through the storms. Verse 38, look what it says. It says Jesus himself was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, and he was asleep on the cushion. Everybody say the cushion. <laughs> it's just a little detail. I don't know if it matters, but I just sort of think of it as the cushion. I don't know I don't whatever. And they woke him and they said to him, "Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? Now, look at these two different reactions to this mega storm. First, we see that the disciples are afraid because they literally thought that they were going to die. Now, when somebody is facing imminent death, it's pretty shocking what can come out of us. There are a lot of things that can come out of us, but for sure, one of the things that can come out of us and is very often is is fear. The fear of death will make people say things they never thought they'd say and do things they never thought they would do. I've watched this myself. I've seen it happen in real life, stories that are, I cannot bring up, but I have watched when people believe that they are gonna die, they act so different than they normally would. And I think we see what fear will really do. But one thing we do see about the fear of the disciples, they make a comment to Jesus while they're in the storm. And this is what they say. Do you not even care that we are going to die? Now, just pause right there. Do you not care? Do you not care? Jesus, you don't care. That's a very revealing statement if you think about it. Now, I'm gonna ask you this question. It's rhetorical. Okay, we're not dialoguing now. It's too many of us. Have you ever said that to another person? Have you ever said to a person in your life, do you not even care? I mean, obviously the reverse is really what you're saying. You don't care. You're saying that. It's not a question. Sometimes people ask me questions and literally I'm asking in my head, is that a question or are you just trying to say something? Married people. (laughs) Restate it as a question. Be very helpful for your marriage. Pro tip. You're welcome. But have you ever said that to somebody? What was the context of that? Do you not care? Do you not care? It's very, very revealing. Have you ever thought this or said it to the Lord? Because maybe you prayed and something wasn't answered or you're walking through some kind of difficulty, pain, let's call it a storm. You're walking through something and you're wondering why God allowed it. Lord, why did you allow this? You have the power to undo it. You have the power to protect me from it. You have the power to stop it. So why did you find it important to allow me to walk through this? Like, what is that about? And often we are not on the same side with God. And I just want to reveal that to you today, that that I don't have the answers to all of the things that we face. But what I do know is having walked with Jesus for 23 years, I am not always on the right side of what he is doing. And when I question him, whether I'm questioning his word or his character or his ways or his love, whether or not he cares for me, if I ever do that in heart, or God forbid it comes out of my mouth, when that does happen, there is something very telling. I am actually indicting God for indifference or maybe even negligence. But did you know if you've ever done that before, you're in the company of people like David, yeah, King David, or Jonah, or Job, or Moses perhaps, these great men and women of God. What about Mary and Martha in John 11? Come on, let's add women to the list too. You remember the story in John 11? This is where Lazarus dies. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, they're friends with Jesus. They have a close relationship with him. And Lazarus dies. And they're confused about this. And so in their mind, we've got to go get Jesus because he can bring people back to life. In fact, he's the only friend I've got that can do, can do just that. So let's go get the one that kind of knows how to do that thing, that thing where people can come back to life. Let's go get that guy. So they send for him. Jesus hears about Lazarus dying, and you know what he does? He kicks back and hangs out where he is even longer. And they hear about that, and it's confusing to them. So Martha runs out to meet him, and Jesus starts to make his way toward where Lazarus is, and he's, and he's dead. Everybody say dead. Like at this point, he's like dead, dead. Like he's like really cold. I mean, it's setting in in a very serious way, and Martha runs out to meet him, and She has a dialogue with Jesus, and she gets a little bit of a theological lesson about him being the resurrection and the life, but Mary stays with Lazarus. Jesus continues to make his way toward them, and Mary finally comes out. And if you read John 11, I encourage you to do this, but there's something that happens with Mary that's very important and you cannot miss. Mary comes out, and she basically says to Jesus, "'Lord, if you were here, this would not have happened.'" All right, I'm just gonna say it. That's a sophisticated way of saying you didn't care enough when you heard about it to come because if you did, this wouldn't be the case. But she's living in the tension that you and I live in all the time. And the tension is this, God could do something about this, but he's not doing something about this, and I want to say that, but I know I'm not supposed to because he's God, and I don't want to question him, but I'm really feeling it, and I'm praying in ways that I don't want to confess, and I'm thinking things that I don't want to always say, and I'm living in the tension of God could prevent this in his power, but he's some, for some reason allowing it in his wisdom. And so you're in that tension, and Mary's there, and out of her mouth, she says to the Lord, if you would have come, this would not have happened. And you know, just a few verses later, this is the point where Jesus cries. It says, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, and Jesus wept. He felt the grief from Mary, and he entered into the place that she was, and he cried. But then he changes the game by doing what? Raising Lazarus from the dead. And I mean, this is like, a kind of resurrection that changed their life. He was so dead, there wasn't a doctor in the world that would have questioned that one. I'm talking like there isn't even documentation. Like, how do you even document that? Some doctors in the room, I don't know. He was dead, now he's alive. That's the testimony. But what's amazing to me is that Mary and Martha, like many of us, have, they had no idea what Jesus was really doing. That this brought glory to the Lord. Like there was no suspicion that maybe he wasn't quite dead. Like everybody knew at this point he was dead. See, Jesus was doing something and Mary and Martha didn't understand. And Jesus was doing something in the midst of this boating expedition that the disciples did not understand. What they said was, Lord, do you not care that we are about to die Of course, Jesus cared, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. The disciples had no clue. And friends, I want to tell you, that's how life is a lot of the times when we walk with the Lord. And what is required in the midst of that tension is a kind of trust that right now, maybe we do not possess until we get into a storm that we've never gone in before so that we can actually obtain a trust that we've never had before. See, God is bringing us somewhere because the things that are in front of us, the storms and the wars and the stuff that we are facing is greater than whatever we've been through. And if we don't have more trust of God, more strength in the Lord, then we're not going to be able to navigate the things that are ahead. We just simply won't be able to do it. But I just wanna talk about something. Just uh, throw me this. I was thinking about... You guys know what the word grounded means? Somebody in the room does. So I went online, because I was reading this text, and it says, Jesus was asleep on the cushion. He was asleep in a megastorm, winds, waves, waters, Jesus was asleep. So I went online, and I went on, you know, BethlehemAncientCushions.com. No, it's not from TJ Maxx. No, it's not. No, it's not from Home Goods. Stop judging, okay? But I went online, and you don't believe me, do you? (laughs) Does this look like the cushion from 2,000 years ago? I couldn't convince you discerning people. Picture the cushion. This is like ancient cushion, all right? Just follow me, all right? You can get, get one at HomeGoods. But Jesus is asleep on the cushion. Just, this is just a funny picture, okay? He's asleep, and there's the winds, okay? It says, it says the kind of megastorm. Everybody say megastorm. This isn't like little storm, a little bit of waves, just a little spritz of water. This is a megastorm. Jesus is just like, he's just asleep, and the Bible says about Jacob, like Jacob, Jacob laid his head on a rock and he was out. It's just Jesus is the same way, but he's got a cushion. And so he, Jesus is asleep, <laughs> and the wind and the waves, the way, wind's like, ah! and the waves like, boom, boom. And the disciples are like, we're going to die, we're going to die. And the water, the Bible says the water is filling up the boat. And this is Jesus still. I'll put it down, okay. I almost want to go to sleep. I want to throw it at somebody, actually. I was thinking about this, and I was like, look, Jesus doesn't wake up. Now, watch this. Jesus doesn't wake up because there's a storm. He wakes up because the disciples speak up. Look at what happens. Jesus is fast asleep in the middle of a storm that other people think they're going to die in, and they're not mistaken. They're experienced fishermen. They know the storm that they're in, and they're wondering why Jesus doesn't feel and react the same way. And so then they speak up and they said, do you not care that we're gonna die? And this is when, of course, Jesus gets up. But I'm wondering, like, why didn't Jesus wake up from the storm? And I think, listen, that could be a prophetic picture. Sometimes Jesus, the Lord isn't moving in a certain way in our life and in some tangible way because he's waiting for us to pray. He's waiting for us to speak up in the middle of the storm. We cannot assume just because we're going through something that he ought to be doing what we think he should do. And friends, I want to tell you, it happens to all of us. We think God should have done this or should be doing this instead of praying that God would answer. And in the midst of praying, he starts to speak to us about what he's really doing. Sometimes we're on the wrong side of what he's doing, but if we're not praying, he won't correct us and we won't hear what he's actually doing and it reorient our thinking so we can really get out of the storm what we need to get. He's not just trying to deliver them, he's trying to develop them, but they couldn't get that unless they woke him up. So there's, a, there's two things happening. One is they wake him up, which is the good part. The bad part is what they said when they did. That's the bad part right here. And and I want to tell you something that the Lord wants us to learn that fear is always going to be a part of our life, but it isn't that we feel fear that's wrong. It's what we do when we face fear that we can overcome it. This is why we need faith. We have to learn to confront the fears that come. And I'll tell you what, you're going to have some fears, but it doesn't mean that fears need to overcome us. That's the point. I mean I think it's funny, people are like I'm not afraid of anything and then they go into something and then they're afraid of something. There's no reason to act like the absence of conflict or the absence of feelings is somehow us walking in victory. I think it's ridiculous. It's learning how to respond when we're in the midst of something. But can we say that we need to learn how to call on Jesus? We need to learn how to be a people of prayer far more than we than we have been. And just if you agree with that, say Amen. amen. I want us to grow. I want to grow in being a person of prayer. That I'm, I don't just want to hear His voice. I want Him to hear my voice. I'm I'm a man. We're a people of intercession. I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating. When Bridget and I were raising um, our kids, and they were younger, we've got two of them here today, but um, one of them, one of my unnamed kids, who may or may not be in the room today, I can neither confirm nor deny, said truth. But one of our kids, he was afraid of the dark for a little while. It was a very short spell. It's coming, baby. But it was a really and all of our kids have had a fear of the dark to a degree, okay? That and even our older sons were. When one of them was 9, it, it's just something that happens. Anyways, he was afraid of the dark for just a short period of time. It was like 3 to 6 months somewhere in there. And then Bridget and I would put our kids to sleep and strap them and staple them to their bed as much as possible. They would find out how to get out of the handcuffs, so and He would come down. Bridget and I would be talking to some friends at our house at the time. Usually we had a lot of people over in those days and he would come downstairs and he would jump up on the couch and he would just pull my arm. He'd be like, hey, and he would whisper into my ear like this and everybody could hear still because like Dixons are not quiet people. He's like, hey, come upstairs. And I'm like, why? And he's like, you know, and I'm like, all right. And this is what happened and he can attest to this if he remembers, but literally when I stood up, the minute I stood up, the boldness of God came in that young man. I mean, he just like when like Iron Man suit came on and he ran upstairs like we are going to vanquish every foe known to man. Dad is with me now. Beware monsters, wherever you might be hiding. The wrath is coming. And so he would just run upstairs, bam, the light goes on, jumps in his bed. It was amazing. And then I get up there and I go, what's, what's going on? And he's like, there's monsters in here. I can hear them. So I, where are they? And he's like, so I go into the closet. It's a walk-in closet. I open the door. You know, I boom, get in there. And I look around. There's nothing there, no small ones, no big ones. I go, hey, there's no, there's no monsters in here. I look under the bed. I go, there are no monsters in here. And then I, uh, usually we do this as we taught all our kids that When you face a fear of any kind, even if it's real, if something's real, and it's a fear because of a thing you're dealing with that you call on Jesus. And so I'd say, hey, there are no monsters, but this is what you need to do. You need to call on Jesus because sometimes mom and dad aren't there. But what was amazing was, is our kids were strengthened every time we would back them up. So the minute I stood up and I started to go upstairs, it was like, The strength came into them to face anything. Like, I'm not afraid anymore. But we wanted to transfer that to our heavenly father so that when they call on Jesus, that they have that same type of strength and we don't have to be there because how many of you know you grow up and you need to have that kind of authority that Jesus has given you? And so we have to learn how to call on Jesus in the midst of our fears. We've got to stop acting like we don't have them, and we start calling on Jesus in the midst of them. And when we do that, we notice that Jesus shows up. And so we've got to learn how to call on Jesus. And I want to tell you today, Jesus was not asleep spiritually, even though he was asleep naturally. His peace in the midst of the storm was not just because he was tired. It's that he literally, I mean, we're talking about the creator of heaven and earth, and he was at perfect peace. The disciples called on Jesus in the midst of their fear, and that was one thing they certainly got right. And the third point is we will grow in faith through the storms. We want to grow in faith. That's the other side of fear. We want to move in faith. Verse 39, and he got up, Jesus got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, so first the wind and then the sea. He told the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He stood up, he spoke to the winds and then to the waves. He said, hush, just like he would say to a demonic spirit, be quiet. He said the same thing to the waves and to the wind. He did this and it became perfectly calm. Friends, listen to me, perfectly calm. That does not happen, okay, people? That does not happen. I mean, you can try it today, even in the bathtub, it will not happen, I mean, you just, and then you say, hush, nothing's going to happen. Jesus exercised a type of power that they have never seen before. This was entirely supernatural. And then he looks at them and he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, Jesus did not expect the disciples to silence the storm themselves. I've heard people teach that. That's not true. That's not what he expected. He did not expect them to stand up and say to the weather, be still. It was the... It was the lack of faith that they exhibited in what they said to Jesus when they woke him up. It wasn't that they woke him up that was the right thing to do. It was what they said. Do you not care that we, including him, are all going to die? Jesus is going to go to the cross. Jesus has got to deliver a guy on the other side of the sea. Jesus is going to meet the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, Jesus got a lot of life to live and he knows exactly what's about to happen. So he's in perfect peace because his mission for which he came has not been accomplished yet. And the disciples are just along for the ride and they need to learn these lessons because they don't fully understand the plan. But Jesus did not expect them to silence the storm, but Jesus did expect them to trust him even in the midst of it. That's why he pointed to their lack of faith. Do you still have no faith? Have you not seen what I've done? Do you not know who you're with? And I wanna tell you today, the presence of a storm is not the evidence of a lack of faith in our life. It's an opportunity to grow in faith. When we have storms, difficulties, traumatic things happen to us, none of us want those situations to occur. That's not the point. The point is they will, and when they do, what are we going to do with them? Are we wasting these things, or are we giving them over to the Lord and growing in faith and trust because we watch Him work even when we don't fully understand? Our physical difficulties provide moments where we draw near to Jesus and we truly learn how to walk with Him. And we're talking about things like losing a job, or having a conflict with a family member, or watching a child walk a godless path, experiencing a health issue that doesn't go away, or facing a pandemic, losing a loved one. I mean, I believe that God heals, but in the midst of it not happening yet, we still need to trust the Lord no matter what. We still need to pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in is. We're not just a person sitting on the bench waiting to get healed. We're a person in the game, and yes, we're calling on him to move in power, but it doesn't stop us from bringing glory to Jesus no matter what happens in our life. You understand? This is, I think, what stops us at times. It's like, until he does this, I can't do anything else, and that is just not true. What if tomorrow our life is gone, and we wasted all 24 hours just hoping for that one thing to happen because somewhere in the psychology of how we work, if he doesn't do this, then I can't do anything else. It's not true. It's not true. And we know that. And that's why Paul could say this, Romans 8, 28. And we know, we are certain that God uses or causes all things to work together for good. He did not say God authors all things. He said, we know that God causes all things that do happen to work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. What is he doing in your life right now, more than anything else, conforming you to the image of Jesus? And you and I got a long way to go. And you can look at your neighbor and say that a few times. Don't do it. Just, you know, think it. Think it in your heart. Think it. Just let it bounce around. Pinball. It's fine. It doesn't matter how long you've known Jesus. You're being conformed to the image of Christ, to look like him to sound like him, to his nature, his character, his virtue. There's no greater goal than to be like the one we're following. There's no greater goal. Because if you have a lesser goal, when you reach that, then what? Right? I've said this before, but it's, my goal wasn't just to be a husband and a father and a pastor. And this. No, my goal is to be a Christ-like husband, a Christ-like father, a Christ-like pastor. Because if you reach that goal, then what? That's not like the goal That's just when you get into those places, now you have responsibility to be more like Jesus in the midst of it, or you're going to destroy a lot of people's lives. So this is our goal, and this is why Paul said it. There's a story about a man named John and Charles Wesley. I'm sure none of you have ever heard of them before. The founders of the Wesleyan movement, but also the mainstream denomination known as Methodists. On October 17, 1735, John Wesley and his brother Charles, they set sail from England to Savannah, Georgia. Now, these guys are responsible not only for a movement starting, but for tens of thousands of Christians, I mean, coming to know Christ because they preach the gospel all over England and also the United States. And so they're sailing across the ocean from England to Savannah. John's goal was to preach to the Native Americans and lead them to Christ. That's His whole desire was to do that. And on, the, on this four-month-long trip, a literal physical storm came and suddenly broke the mainmast, and everybody was afraid for their life. They believed that they were going to die. And John writes this in his journal. While the Englishmen, including him, were crying, there was a group of Moravians calmly singing hymns and praying in the corner of the boat. And John says, I was impressed by their personal faith in the face of a dangerous, life-threatening storm. And I became convinced of my inner weakness while the Moravian seemed to possess an inner strength that I did not have. He later wrote in his journal after the trip, it was then that I realized that mine was a dry land and a fair weathered faith. John went through a literal physical storm and he came face to face with his limitations. He came face to face with a response that looked nothing like him. This is what they were doing. They were crying because they were going to die. And he looked over at this group of, of humble Moravians who just wanted to, I mean, they ended up in like North Carolina and across the East Coast. And they formed these communities, these humble commu- this humble community of, of, of people that were fairly quiet. And <laughs> they were just singing to God. They were just singing in the midst of a storm. And John was like, I'm a wretch. I don't believe what I preach. I think that's a pretty humble confession, don't you? And John went on to, John and Charles both went on to see tens of thousands, if not more, people come to Christ. Such a powerful picture. In a storm, our faith starts with this, God deliver me, but it needs to end with God develop me. We've got to move to a robust faith. Friends, in Christianity, we may not know this or we may not remember it, but we are built on the shoulders of people that died for the faith. People that died to make sure that we could have this book. People that knew that they've got to get this written into other languages and they've got to make sure like scribes were copying and they wanted to, they gave their lives. Many of them died. They were martyred because of this book to get the Bible into our hands today. We are built on the shoulders of people that had such a robust faith. They were not fickle. They were not superficial. They were like, I will die because of the name of Jesus. That is what we are built on. That's literally in the foundation of what we call Christianity. Where people heard Jesus's words, to take up their cross, to deny themselves, and to follow him. There were people that believed it, and I believe we in this generation need to become those kind of people, and we need to obtain that kind of faith and nothing less. We cannot succumb to a superficial faith. We've got to rise up and grab a hold of something that is substantial that can actually navigate any storm that we might face, because who knows where this world is gonna go? I'm not here with a crystal ball to tell you that I know. I do know what the Bible says about the end times. At least Jesus is coming, and I'm on his side. That's what I do know. But the Bible says, occupy until he comes. It says to preach the gospel to all creation. We're talking about sowing seeds and shining light, and this is our calling in life. So we might lose our comforts, and we will lose our conveniences, and these things might happen, but we still have what we are here to get. For those of us in this room today, it's what it's all about. The last verse reveals the final point, and it's this. We will encounter Jesus through the storms. Look at verse 41. They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This verse is the point of the story. Jesus rebuked the storm and everything went calm. The disciples, they, t- they, took, they went back quite a ways. I mean, they, you have to see this for what it is. They, they said, who is this? Why did they say that? Now, look what it says. It says they were very much afraid. See, they started with the fear of the storm. Now they're afraid of the Jesus in their boat. I mean, the fear shifted all of a sudden. They realized he maybe isn't who I thought he was. Now, I want to tell you, I know, I personally believe they thought he was the Messiah. But in Judaism, both then and now, Jews did not believe what we believe in Trinitarian theology. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. Now, it's a mystery. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's a mystery to us. But there is no way that they saw this Jesus stand up and rebuke the winds and the waves and have authority over the weather. There is no way that they saw that and didn't all of a sudden think, what I've been taught about the Messiah is woefully undervaluing what I am now experiencing. Do you know why? Because in the Jewish community growing up, they knew that only God has power over the weather. I mean, there's dozens of passages in the Old Testament that talk about how Yahweh God has power over the weather. And you can look it up today. One of the issues that Those who are Orthodox Jews that hold to a Judaism, that do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, one of the issues they have with Christians is they do not have a mindset. They do not have a theological understanding that the Messiah is also God. This is one of the things they think we are wrong about. But this is where the disciples had a jolt. And this is what Psalm 107 says. Look at it, verse 28. It says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, talking about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Look, and he brought them out of their distress. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. I mean, doesn't this kind of sound like something to you? I mean, maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus knew Psalm 107. Maybe he knew he was speaking to something and then it says they were glad because it was quiet. So they guided, he guided them to their desired haven. And we read from creation, to exodus of Israel, to the Psalms and the prophets, only God, only Yahweh has power over the weather. When Jesus sh- stood up and he did what he did, all of them, I just have this picture of them moving to the other side of the boat saying, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Maybe Jesus is a bit bigger and a bit more important than I thought he was. I mean, who can take like this? I just want you to see this. I just want you to see, look at this. this is what we're talking about today. Jesus is on, on, in a boat with his disciples and other boats around, and this is what they're facing. This is what it talks about, a gale of wind, fierce wind, and can do this. Then when he speaks to it, this is what happens. This is the Sea of Galilee right here. Who can do that? I bet you when the disciples saw that, I bet you they thought, I don't think I understand who he is. I bet you that's exactly what they thought. And I think it changed their life. I think from this moment forward, they carried a tension that they could never root out of their heart. Friends, what if sometimes this is what happens to us, the way we talk about Jesus, the way we think about him, even the way that we approach him and and how we orient our lives around him, maybe it's we get too comfortable with Jesus, Maybe we get too comfortable with the, the Jesus that's in our boat. Maybe that's something that happens. Could you be guilty of that today? Of thinking too lightly of the one that came and died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father and says that if you believe in me, I'll forgive you for all of your sins and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me and I'm going to give you a brand new body and you're going to live with me forever. I mean, maybe, maybe this story gets a little too fictional because we are so wowed by the things of this life. And then when stuff comes into our life, it starts to shake us up. Guess what? There's a war coming. Guess what? There's a war happening in our world that might affect America. Guess what? There's some stuff that's going on that you can't control. And you, you got a diagnosis that there's nothing you can do about. You're trying and you're, you're asking and you're praying, but here all of a sudden you've got a storm in your life and Jesus doesn't look bigger than the storm. That's what the disciples had succumbed to. Jesus was in their boat and he's sleeping on the cushion and the disciples are scared that they're gonna die and they don't even realize who's in their boat. But after that, now they don't really know who's in their boat. They didn't realize it before, but now they're really unsure, but on a whole nother, in a whole nother way. I wonder if today, one of the prayers that we should pray, I don't wanna force this on you, but I wanna ask you after reading the story, do you think it's possible that we need him to give us a new revelation of who he is? You know him as Savior. You're thankful that he forgives sin. And you even profess that he's Lord. But is he God over a storm? Is he God over the earth? Is he God over the universe? Is he a God that nothing escapes his view like he literally knows what's going to happen in the future? What fear should we have? It doesn't mean that we don't live in reality. We have things that we have to face, decisions we have to make. I get that. That's not we got to call on Jesus. We have to learn to call on him. We want to do that, certainly. But, but when you see him through the lens of that, oh, I bet you you'll pray differently, don't you think? Amen. I bet you you call on Jesus a little bit more often. Yeah. I bet you you expect him to show up in powerful ways that maybe you didn't yesterday. But what if it starts by just asking him today, Lord, I surrender to you in a, in a way where I'm asking you to show me who you are. And, and like I just want you to blow me away. And I confess that maybe I don't, I know you as much as I can today, but I need, I need more. I, I need a greater revelation of Christ. I need a living awareness. The things that I'm trying to deal with and fix in my life, maybe they'll be fixed if I just see Jesus bigger than he is in my own, my own world. It would just be simpler. I bet you he would give us that if we asked for it. Something you might want today, you think? A greater revelation of Jesus. Remember in the book of Revelation, the apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos. This is somebody that laid his head against Jesus' chest. Like that's talking about closeness. And when Jesus, the glorified Christ, revealed himself in a vision to John, who'd walked with him for three years, you know what John did? The first thing he did when he saw him is he fell at his feet as though he was dead. Why would a man who walked with somebody for three years, knew him more than any of us, physically walked with him for three years, why would he fall down on the ground like he was dead? he was scared. He came into a revelation of Jesus that he did not previously have, and he walked with him physically. And I bet that Jesus would give more of that to us if we asked. Not because we want to grovel on the ground, but I want to live in light of who he really is. Not my version of him, but the living Christ, the glorified Christ, the one that's going to step into our world and we're going to see, everyone's going to see. Nobody's getting out of that. The Bible says is like lightning goes from the east to the west. Everybody's going to see him in his coming. But we, as the body of Christ, are welcoming that, aren't we? It says that we're praying that in. Maranatha, so come, Lord Jesus, so come. We know whom we have believed on. We're welcoming his coming. We're crying out to the Lord. And all that we're facing in the world, storms are real, but they just become less powerful. Would you stand? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Just with everybody, I'm asking you just to bow your head and close your eyes if you would just respect this, just a moment of prayer. If you're here today and maybe you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and what I mean by that is you haven't given your life to Him. You haven't asked Him to forgive you for your sins, for the things that you do wrong. And you don't have a relationship with Him where you know that you know that you know you're going to be with Him forever. Like, this eternal life thing is real. Like, He came to this world gave his life in our place so that we wouldn't have to die in an eternal state he rose from the dead proving he was God's one and only son he ascended to the father he's literally in heaven right now and he's waiting for the time when he'll return and he's going to come back for people that name his name and they call him Lord and this isn't just about inviting Jesus into our life it's about Jesus about giving him our life we're not asking him to come in. We're saying to him, I give you my life. Everything I am is yours. If you have not done that today, if you have never turned your life over to Jesus, but you're here and you know you need to, it's not a coincidence that you're here. This is your decision that you make. Nobody forces you to do it, nor do we try. It's not something that God himself forces us to do, but it's the most important decision of our life. If you're here today and you need to make that decision, I just want you to raise your hand real quickly and acknowledge I need to give my life to Jesus just me looking around. Yeah, I see your hand. Yep. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm looking at you. Yep. I see you guys. You're saying, Jesus, I need to be forgiven of my sin. I want to give you my life. I see you. There's three of you now. Is there anybody else? You're like, Ben, today's that day. I I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm not trying to face these storms by myself. I want to walk with him for the rest of my life. Yeah. There's five of us today in the room. Yep. Here's what I'm asking you guys. You can put your hands down. Nobody sees you but me. I'm asking you to make your way forward at the end of the service. Give us five minutes to pray with you. We're not trying to talk you into anything. We just wanna walk with you into something. That's it. Our pastors will be up front. We wanna pray with you. We wanna acknowledge the decision that you've made today so you can connect with him. He's a real savior. He's real. He's alive and well, and he wants to walk with you today. For the rest of us, let's surrender and ask Jesus right now, for a greater revelation of who he is. If you want that, go ahead and assume the position, hands out, asking him with your heart. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for a revelation from the Holy Spirit to show us Christ. It does not mean we don't know you. It does not mean we don't love you. It does not mean we're not following you. It means that we wanna see you bigger than we see you right now. We wanna know you more intimately than we do today. We want to see you as the God. You have all power. You can silence storms, but more than anything, you're developing us through them. And we don't want to miss the moment that we're in. We want to give you all of our lives so that you can have it and do with it what you want. Develop us, Lord. Give us a mentality that isn't just to take me out of or get me out of, but it's to grow me through it. And we ask you for that today. Give us a robust, strong faith that is not fickle or superficial. And if that's been us, Lord, we repent from that right now. We discard that kind of faith and we say, Lord, give us a strength in our faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So we take up your strength today and we thank you for it. I pray you would bless your people, strengthen your people, fill us with your Holy Spirit today so that we can walk with you honestly, openly, accountably, to love you and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, "Amen." amen.